Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of A Tiny Revolution, a podcast about ordinary folks living revolutionary lives. I'm Kevin Garcia, I'm your host, and today on the podcast we have my friend Emily Joy Allison, who is now, I would say, friend of the pod, because this is like, I think, third time on A Tiny Revolution. Um, But this time, uh, we're both out of the closet and very gay, it's very exciting, so... Emily Joy and I have, we go way back, way before, like, like one of the original people I started connecting with when I was trying to work my way out of the closet and wasn't even fully out of the closet when me and Emily um, connected for the first time. So I am thrilled to have her back. Um, before I get into what that's about, just a couple of community announcements. If you're not a part of Patreon community, what the fuck are you doing, honestly? Because um, it's been popping over there. Our Discord server is wonderful. Tonight, if you're... Well, yeah, it's Monday, April 12th when I'm recording this, and we're having a new moon circle on Zoom. We're going to do some ritual. We're going to hear some teaching. We're going to like get into our bodies and really practice some new spirituality. So if that's appealing to you, and you want some shit like that, or maybe you want to learn how to meditate, or you want to get into tarot, or maybe you just want to figure out what to do with uh, the Bible and your faith in your life, uh, if that's you, get over to patreon.com slash Garcia and become a part of the community today. There's no reason why not, honestly. Um, it's 11 to $33 a month. All the perks are the same. Um, so yeah, give what you can, upgrade when you need to, and uh, yeah, I'll see you over there. Um, a little bit about Emily Joy. Emily Joy Allison is a writer, poet, and yoga teacher. She holds a degree in philosophy philosophical theology and apologetics from the Moody Bible Institute and is currently pursuing a master's of theological studies from Vanderbilt Divinity School. In November 2017, as the Me Too movement was going viral, Emily came forward with her own story of abuse at the hands of the church and launched the Church Too movement overnight. She's been writing and speaking about religious sexualized violence and its theological underpinnings ever since. Emily lives in Nashville, Tennessee, um, and she's getting married, which I'm excited about, um, but that's not the point of this. Um, so yeah, this conversation, we're going to be talking about the book, about church too, about our journeys out of the closet, what we're learning now in this you know, COVID world, and also as we're kind of reckoning with all the bullshit. Um, and, you know, just so you know, this conversation centers around things like sexual assault and violence. So please uh, take care of yourself if you need to. And yeah, I love you so much. Thanks for joining me. This is a conversation with my friend, Emily Joy Allison. Officially, so this is time number three. So I think this means like you're officially friend of the pod. Yeah, I think once you've been on the podcast long enough, like you've become friend of the pod. Friend of the pod. Yeah. Hi, Emily. Hi. <laughs> Emily Joy Allison, author, author, published motherfucking author. <laughs> beow, 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 beow. Can you believe? Actually, yes, I can. Because you know what? <laughs> We've been talking about this for a while. Mm-hmm. And I want to ask you a question that you were going to ask me on your live when I dropped my phone in the fucking toilet. <laughs> Can I tell you, that entire day was just like comedy of errors, back to back to back to back. Um, Audrey and I were shit-talking you a little bit. Uh, you should. You should <laughs> absolutely. I was like, well, Kevin might be here, but also they texted me and said that they dropped their phone in the toilet, and Audrey was like, that seems right. <laughs> I was so, And like, it wouldn't have been a problem had like I had not dropped it before and had a crack in the screen, because like, you know, iPhones are pretty right, resilient yeah. these days, unless, you know, it's kind of like... Um, Kind of like purity culture. You just get a little chink in the armor, throw a little holy water on it, and the whole thing just goes berserk. <laughs> you know? 
Wait, so what did you want to ask me? Oh, <laughs> thank you. The thing you were going to ask me was, can you believe that, like, the first time we actually chatted, like, we were both, like, not out and not really, didn't know shit about shit about shit? <laughs> no, yeah, I remember sitting um, in the kitchen of my, like, second apartment in Nashville um, talking to you that day. And you were mm -hmm. just, like, some rando from the internet that you were, like, do you want to be on my blog? And that was, that was many, many, many Do you want to be on my blog, you guys? We <laughs> blogged. I remember. Oh, you did blog. Do you remember that? I don't know if you remember this. You probably don't. But the name of my first blog ever was Confessions of a Ratchet Christian. <laughs> yes. I was I trying know, to like, be so, so hip. came out of my mouth. My dog is like sitting on the bed next to me. And I made that noise. And a it was like came, came to attention. It's like something happened. <laughs> but yeah, we so cool. We just, we've kind of like, you know, we, you've come a long way, baby. And <laughs> yeah, so, I guess we both have. yeah. So, um, for people who do not know who you are, uh, how do you introduce yourself these days on all the podcasts you're going on? Oh, man. I mean, I have been doing uh, so many different things over the last couple of years. Um, mm. I think on the, let's see what it says on the back of my book. How about that? Um, the I am I'm officially, a I'm a writer and I am a poet. Uh, and a yoga teacher. Um, and I have a degree in philosophical theology and apologetics from Moody Bible Institute. Bam, bam, bam. Um, don't you forget it. Yep, right. No, I don't. I never let them forget it. I th they know who I am. Um, and, uh, and I'm now a, a seminary student at uh, Vanderbilt Divinity School here in Nashville as well, getting my master's of theological studies, um, concentrating in religion, gender, and sexuality. Damn. And I just put out the book Church 2, How Purity Culture Upholds Abuse and How to Find Healing. Oh, my gosh. It's just so cool to say that, like, we're, like, it's, it is the... Oh, I'm just so proud of us. I'm so proud of so many of us. And I'm also, I'm so proud of you because like, you know, like, cause we've known each other since like before we came out. And so like to see, you know, just like you've gone through the ringer for a little bit and you've been working on your shit. And that's now it's nice like, way of putting it. <laughs> yeah. Cause like, you know, we don't need to, that's a, that's a different podcast, <laughs> but I'm just so proud of you because you've come out on the other side and just been like, all right, I'm here to do this thing and I'm going to fucking do it. And then you accomplished it so beautifully. And now we've got this wonderful, beautiful book. Sorry, I didn't mean to hit the microphone. <laughs> and it's so cool. And then also, like, I honestly, so this is how much my ADHD has taken me. It's just like, I didn't actually look at the back covers. Like, oh, my God, that's my name. Yes, your name is on the back cover. <laughs> Which is so cool. Like, because I, I read the, um, when I was going through, I was uh, reading through the PDF when I got it. Mm. Um, the ebook version. Yeah, that's a different thing. Yeah. The thing I loved about it is I think you do a really, really good job of introducing yourself, but then also it's like you, you, you have yourself in it. You said, this is how it affected me, but also like my story is everybody else's story. It's like, it's like you're there, but it's not centered on you, which is a re really, really good, good job. So, um, first of all, why this book? Why'd you write this book, Emily Joy? Um, you know, there's, there's a couple of answers to that. I think on, on the one hand, I've sort of always wanted to be 
an author, right? Like when I was a kid, when I was like a little, little girl, mm -hmm. um, I like would just write these stories. I would like take all my dad's printer paper and like write down these stories where like I had a- Was it the kind of printer paper that had like the, the things on the edges that you had to, to strip off? Or <laughs> was it just- Yeah, the ones that you have to like pull. But I, I would write, I wrote this like series of like little short, I was like very small when I did this, like this series of like short stories where I like went on adventures with an imaginary friend. And, <sighs> Then I got into like junior high and I wrote this series of short stories about this um, group of Christian friends who inexplicably gets caught in like every kind of natural disaster that exists. And then like, um, you know, so I've been like writing. That's that's kind of sweet. I can never find them again and I hope they never surface. I hope oh, it's going to be like, you know, like 500 years from now, they're going to like just find something. It's just like, are these the early writings of mystic poet Emily Joy? <laughs> oh, they're so bad. Visions. All of that to say, like, I have been wanting, I've been writing books since I was a little kid, since I was a baby. And like, you know, um, but at the, by the same token, though, I do feel like, and you know how this is, because you're kind of like online, you're on Twitter, you're on social mm -hmm. media, like, you get to a certain number of followers, and people just start telling you, you should write a book, right? And I'm like, I'm not going to write a book just because I have a certain number of people following me just because I have stuff like, I'm not going to write a book till I have Mm -hmm. 50 or 60,000 words to say about something. And I'm particularly not going to write a memoir because I don't believe people our age should write memoirs. No. Like Malala, maybe, right? If you want Malala, then go ahead and write a memoir. But otherwise, I'm kind of like, maybe don't. Like, maybe just let that shit marinate for a while. Mm -hmm. Let your life marinate until I'll write a memoir like years from now. But, um, but I didn't want to just like write a, a memoir. And I didn't want to like just write to write. I wanted to like, I, mm -hmm. I was just kind of waiting, you know, I was like waiting for the right, for the right mm -hmm. um, vehicle, the right vessel to come along. Right. Um, and then church two happened. Although I will say, you know, church two was an accident. I've, I've, I've told this story a lot. Like it, yeah. it was like planned as like a launch or something. It just sort of happened um, in, in like a very organic and grassroots sort of way. And I was not intending on writing a book about it at first. Um, the, the reason that I eventually did decide to write a book about it and like, sign on to do it was because you know over the over the year or two after the hashtag first came to be mm -hmm. um i i paid a lot of very close attention to the conversations that were happening around it and i mm -hmm. started to realize that if i don't write this book someone else is going to do it the, yes um, hello because i did not copyright church two on purpose right because it doesn't belong to me it mm -hmm. belongs to everyone it is a it is an organizing banner it is something to be used for it's not mine it doesn't and it's so much bigger than me so mm -hmm. i didn't copyright it on purpose but because i didn't i was like someone else is going to write this book if and I it's going to be it, and they got and they're going to say the wrong thing no, they're going to say the wrong thing they're not going to blame purity culture they're going to talk about how it's just bad men individually abusing bad women and we still have to be absent till marriage they're not going to do it right and so I was like, okay, I guess I have to write this book now. So mm -hmm. um, two summers ago, I started um, shopping around um, for publishing houses. And um, it was September of 2019 when I signed on with Broadleaf. And so then that was about a year and a half long process. And it's been out for ooh, almost four almost four weeks now at this point. Bam, so, bam, bam, yeah. bam. Yeah. How does it feel now that it's like out of your brain past launch point? How's the stress level? Are you like... Is it feel I better? Mean, I've had to like take a break from it for a while because like the last couple of weeks I like haven't touched it all that much. And it's mainly just been because I'm like, you know what? It's out there. It's going to do what it's going to do. And like me obsessing over it is not going to mm -hmm. make it do better. Um, and so, and also I've been thinking about it like obsessively already for like a really long time slash mm -hmm. like the last year and a half. So, um, so yeah, <laughs> so the stress level has gone down somewhat, but I, I do think that I learned through the process that I enjoy, um, 
writing a book a lot more than I enjoy putting it out. Putting it out is like not yeah. fun to me. <laughs> but the, the writing process is I wrote the book and I was like, oh my God, I'm hooked. Like mm-hmm. I just want to do this forever. I want to keep writing books and books and books because like this is so much fun. Then mm-hmm. I put it out and I was like, oh, this part is not fun at all for me. And I think it's because I'm like, I'm a five, you know what I'm saying? So it's yeah, just, that research. I'm like one of those like really fragile house plants that just like shrivels if it gets too much sun. And like the the book coming out was like too much sun for my little house plant self. I'm like, I just want to write books in obscurity, like Emily Dickinson, you know. But like that's it's <laughs> not really how <laughs> the, the cat is sort of out of the bag <laughs> on that one. So yeah, I I get that. Um, it's like I mean, I'm sure. Like, tell me if you uh, feel this. It's almost like when I put out my stuff, it was like, I got to it. And then I was like, okay, now I'm ready to think about the next thing. I'm ready to like go on to the next one. Mm-hmm. But then everybody else is just now getting these ideas in their hand and they're starting it out. And then you like the conversation is like, okay, I have to help pull my own ideas apart a little more yeah, with folks. I think that's exhausting too. After like, I think what nobody tells you about reading a book is that you're going to have to read or about writing a book is that you are going to have to read like 60,000 of your own words, like at least 10 times. Mm-hmm. And like, by the time that you're, that you're done with that last time, you're like, I hate this. <laughs> like, did I read like, it? I'm so tired of like listening to my own words and my own voice and like hearing my own thoughts. But, but I think what's important to remember is that like, that's not, that's how nobody else feels. Nobody else feels mm-hmm. that way. So when they yes. get your in their hands for the first time, it's like brand new and really exciting. And like, it, it's not that like exhaustion. So that's the thing I've had to remind myself is like, mm-hmm. even though I've read my own words 10 times, nobody else has and mm-hmm. nobody else feels that way. Yeah. And no one else is probably going to read your words 15,000 times. Maybe they will. Dedicated I hope, fans. I hope they don't. I think if they, if they read it 10 <laughs> Get the times, message the first time. As I am. <laughs> so the, uh, the book came out. Um, and what do you think... Like when you were like hoping to get to get this out there in the world, what do you hope that it does uh, yeah. in the world and like in like the actual like conversation at large? Because I know that's something we've been kind of noticing over the past. I mean, I mean, since we've come out in general, is that the you know the right, the evangelical right, and like perpetrators of purity culture and misogyny, noir, et cetera, et cetera. Um they all kind of like are just like catching up with us now. It's like, oh, deconstruction is a thing and do, 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 do. Um, how, right. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, how do you, like, do you think, do you want this book to have like a place in that conversation of like, no, let's try to interrupt this conversation within yeah. evangelical circles. So there's, there's a couple of like purposes, I guess, um, with the book for me in that sense. Um, I think one is that, give and and they actually both sort of flow out of one base assumption that i have Mm -hmm. going into the work uh which is that not all hashtag hashtag not all churches not Not all churches not all christians you know and i and i recognize that though not all i'm not talking about every church right here Mm -hmm. i'm obviously not but most churches by and large are not willing to do the work required to become a safe place for survivors and a sex positive environment where shame and abuse is warded off Mm -hmm. most churches are not willing to do that work correct that's my assumption so under that assumption my my goal with the book is sort of twofold right um one i would love to give survivors with this book a resource Mm -hmm. um, to name what they've been through to name it accurately and specifically instead of just like putting it under like sin um, just, you know, this, category, yeah. but to name it accurately and specifically um, for what it is and for to have, uh, you know, just 
someone else that sees what they went through and understands why it happened mm-hmm. so that even if their pastor or their church totally dismisses them, they still feel like they have an advocate and they still feel like they have someone else out there who mm-hmm. has done the work, who has done the research and understands what's going on. And, and through, I mean, through the book, a whole community, right? Like church two, isn't just me church. Two oh yeah. A group of people. Um, and so, so that's part of it, right. Is to give survivors a resource. Mm. Um, I didn't write the book for churches. I recognize a lot of churches are probably going to read it and religious people, but I didn't write the book for churches. It's not say that. Um, the second thing is under that same assumption that most churches are not willing to do the work. The purpose of the book is really just to hold up a mirror, um, Mm. and to, and to throw down, um, the gauntlet, so to speak. It's just to throw down, um, it's to lay a, a standard, a bare minimum, a bare minimum standard, essentially of like, this is what you have to do. You can do it or not, but like, we're not going to pretend like these half-ass baby step efforts are, are doing it. This is not going to be it. Um, so, so those are sort of my two, my two things, right. To give survivors a resource and then also to set the standard, um, for churches. Now, whether they decide to do anything about it, you know, probably won't. Yeah. It's like none of my business now at this point. That doesn't mean that we don't speak truth. Yeah. I think that's what's interesting is like a lot of people will give us the critique that we're not allowed to say anything about what the church does because we're like either no longer associating or identifying as Christians or like we're not identify or we're not a part of those communities. So we don't get to like critique what happens there. First but I all, think I work at a church today. Is Hello. Friday when we are recording this, I spent the entire morning sending out emails to people to make sure they get the Good Friday service on YouTube. Okay. So people really like underestimate how much of like an old church lady I am in my soul. Hello. Right. Like people are always, oh, you're out to destroy the church. You're out to you militant atheists. And I'm like, I, I work church i make the bulletins i make the bulletins anyway that's a separate issue but go ahead i agree no but i think i think that's true because like i'm also like i'm a part of uh, a baptist community here in atlanta um not cooperative baptist fellowship who are we alliance of baptists they're the it's like the one that william barber is a part of so the cool baptists yeah i went to an alliance of baptist um sex conference with caitlin for like our third yeah it was very romantic So romantic. Also, like, um, not to gush, but I got the save the date and it's so ah. beautiful. Like that artwork, like I was like, I would get that tattooed on my thigh. Just well, like, our tri- tattoo artist did it. The guy that's been tattooing me for like years and years and years did it. So mm-hmm. yep. Oh. So like you're in are you in lesbians or someone with Caitlin? Yeah. In lesbian love. That's that's so good. Um, I've got some cues from my Patreon community that oh, I would what? love to ask. Um, um well, first of all, let me ask you this question um, for folks who are like really new to this conversation, because I have a ton of new folks coming into this sphere and community. Yeah. Uh, when we actually say purity culture, what exactly are we talking about? Because it can mean a dozen different things. But yeah, what's it, like a didn't used to, but it's kind of been subject to like concept creep a little bit in the last few years as like um conservative christians and churches have caught on that like purity culture is bad so they're Mm -hmm. like how do we keep teaching what we're teaching but without calling it purity culture because we don't want people to Mm -hmm. be mad at us right or think right so when you say concept creep you mean just like the the meaning has crept away from its original thing kind of like how emotional labor has come to mean being nice to your friends um, instead of like being (laughs) being paid being paid to maintain a certain level of like emotional propriety at your actual job right Mm -hmm. um people use that term incorrectly all the time Um, right and so all of that to say, 
uh, yeah, it's just it's just that thing where a word means something, and then over time, it it's sort of like erosion on the side mm -hmm. of the creek bed, right? It's just we're we're not quite as precise as we used to be about it. Um, so now a lot of people will say they're anti-purity culture, but they're still teaching like being gay is a sin, no sex before marriage, blah blah blah, right? Um, because what people think purity culture means is like being mean about abstinence, right? So they mm -hmm. think purity culture, and they think like. Um, those like scary, like sex educators, quote unquote, that like go to public schools and shout about like genital mm -hmm. contact and like, oh, what's her name? Pam Stenzel, right? They think genital contact. She's so scary. Have you seen that video? Is no, but I, I need to watch it. I'll send it to you. Um, Thank you. But, uh, but so people think that's purity culture or like purity culture is creepy, right? Like those, um, those little like daddy daughter dances where the girls wear white and like sign paper pledges, like pledging mm -hmm. their virginity to their father. Like, and, and all of those things like can be purity culture. They totally can be. Mm -hmm. um, but purity culture can also be delivered in like a really hip, cool, gentle way Very, mm -hmm. uh, that, you know, that is wearing skinny jeans and saying like, you know, it's cool. God is gracious. Uh, but you still have to like marry a man and stay abstinent and whatever. Right. So like, um, I've been working on this definition for a long time. My definition of purity culture, which is in the book also, um, is the culture that is created by theologies that teach that sex or sexual expression of any kind is really only for a lifelong monogamous legal marriage between a cisgender heterosexual man and a cisgender heterosexual woman or else, right? Or... Well, else. there's always the or else. And what the or else is, your mileage on that is going to vary based on like what community you're in, right? Because some mm -hmm. churches, some families are like, or else you'll have a shitty marriage when you get married, or else mm -hmm. you'll get an STI or you'll get pregnant, or else sometimes it's even like, or else you're going to burn in hell forever. Yeah. Right? That can also happen. But there's always a carrot on a stick. There's always like an or else. There's always something that is being used to ensure compliance. Um, and so to me, that's what the purity culture is not about the delivery method. It is about the culture created by those theologies. Mm. You can deliver that theology nicely, or you can deliver that theology like in a mean or extreme or loud kind of way, but it doesn't really matter how you are delivering it. Mm -hmm. If that is still the theology that you're delivering, it's purity culture. Mm -hmm. And it's all damaging across the board, whether it is kindly delivered or delivered as um, a fire and brimstone sermon. Yeah. Yeah, I think people really look at like, I don't know, like, like Westboro Baptist, for example, and think like, well, we're good because we're not them, you know, like all are welcome here. And I'm like, are they really, though? Because you're essentially teaching the same like theological interpretation of Bible verses. You're just not as mm -hmm. willing to go to the extreme as Westboro Baptist churches. So they're actually being more consistent than you, but y'all have the same theology. That is the thing. I've actually heard this from like so many like queer folks. It's just like, at least like Westboro is consistent across the board. It's just like, they're not ashamed of their, of that gospel or whatever that is. They're not like the, you know, and also like they're following through on their convictions. Yeah. And so it's just like, at least they're doing that, like in churches and places across the country and, it is constantly like a moving target. It's constantly like gaslighting. It's constantly being misled and bait and switched under this idea that there is um there's any sort of like like moral high ground to not telling people the full truth. Yeah. Ugh. Exactly. Uh, and speaking of the church and whatnot, one of the questions is um it's from my friend Anna Voss up in Rochester. Uh, and Anna asks, um, hey, do you think that um, Christianity is redeemable? Is the church ever going to be a place that isn't hurting folks? 
Uh, I have no idea. Um, I don't, mm. yeah, I don't really feel comfortable like answering a yes or a no to that just because I'm like, I, like, I truly, I would guess no, right? Like if I was, if, if someone was like, you have to pick yes or no, otherwise a train mm-hmm. is going to run over like this line of 50 puppies, I would be like, okay, no. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. Um, but, but really, I mean, I don't know. I, to me, um, I don't know if Christianity, like as a whole, as it currently exists, is is redeemable. Um, mm-hmm. I do think there are lots of um, Christians and lots of Christian communities who can turn around and start going the right direction um, mm-hmm. if they were to if they were to put into that work. But I also think there's something. I mean, Christianity is a big a big uh, word, right? So when we say Christianity, we're we're talking about you know evangelical Christians and you know. Uh, those who are rejoicing when horrible stuff happened, like this week, mm-hmm. all the folks who are rejoicing over like all the anti-trans bills that have passed this week. And we're talking yeah. about those folks, right? But we're also talking about like, um, you know, liberation theologians and womanists and all of these other people who are wonderful. Who I know, yeah. And work and theologize under the banner of Christianity. So, so being able to say like, is Christianity redeemable? That's like, you know, that's kind of a big question. Yeah, but, it's kind of a it's a, it's kind of a misnomer. I think it's the wrong question. Right, right. My, no. Well, I mean, not the wrong question, but just like, uh, I the, a deeper question, maybe. We, we could specify it, right? We could narrow it down. Yeah. Um, now, when we say evangelical Christianity, well, that's a little easier. Yeah. No <laughs> way, Jose. It could be. Um, but the trouble is this: I was talking to I can't remember if it was Caitlin or my roommate, um, who I was talking to about this like a day or two ago. Um, but I was like, you know, like. Uh, take the Southern Baptist Convention, for example, right? Mm-hmm. Good um, old SBC. They could turn around and go the other way. This was the this is repentance, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Come on, come on, redeem that word right way. now. They could repent. They could. They could. Go the other way. Um, but becoming an entity that did like net good in the world instead of net harm um, for the Southern Baptist Convention would mean becoming something that is unrecognizable as the Southern Baptist Convention, mm-hmm. right? You, you wouldn't recognize it. You wouldn't look at that and be like, that's the Southern Baptist Convention because it would, it, would, it would deny everything at the heart of their self-definition mm-hmm. in order to repent, right? So, so some of these questions are like, well, technically anything's redeemable, but like it might have to go through the fire and come out the other side looking like something completely different mm-hmm. um, or not come out the other side at all. Hello. What does it say in the good book that there are people who build their houses with things that are permanent and impermanent? And what will happen when the fire of testing comes? Some may escape, but and some of them only shall escape like those who go through fire. Did you go to Awana when you were a kid? No, I didn't. I'm just pious as fuck. (laughs) I was such a pious kid. I would read things like that all the time. And I'm like, yes, that's like, and that to, to me, I think that's a good measure is like, uh you got to test these things you know if it tests if it holds up it holds up and i think that's what i think you're right that those anyone can repent anyone can change their mind i look at myself too like like and that's where i think like well you know where i still like you know fall like i mean everyone's gonna call me a christian i don't like calling myself a christian but like that's where my theology is and that's how i talk about it so i call myself christianity adjacent yeah, Christian That's adjacent. I've been saying that because I'm like, I am not particularly devout, um, but this is the language that my heart speaks. Mm-hmm. This is the community that I live in. Mm-hmm. You know, like, 
So these, this is going to be, I'm, this I, is the, hang, I hang out with Christianity. Yeah. That's where I am. It's just like, it's like, don't, and I think I like that too, because it's just, it's helpful. Cause like I'm, when I was in a uh, youth group, my youth pastor actually told me, he's like, Kevin, like you straddle the line of inappropriate all the time. And I'm like, what do you mean by that? He's like, it's like, you're just like leaning over the side and telling people, guys, come over here. It's so cool. But like, you're not actually going in, but you want to. And I'm like, and I just smiled at him because I didn't. I was like, mm, maybe nothing's yeah. changed though. Um, let me ask another question from okay. the community. It says, um, what are some practices that you found that are helpful for healing around uh, trauma, like religious trauma, Ooh. sexual trauma? Um, so I have a whole chapter devoted to this in the book. And, and I will say this in the book, I share what's worked for me just because I am one person on my one journey with like my experience of, you know, religious and sexualized violence. And then also, um, also, you know, my own like cocktail of other, you know, I, I have bipolar disorder, you know, so mm-hmm. there's going to be things that work for me and my like bipolar brain that like maybe don't work at all for someone that doesn't have bipolar has a different mental illness and like Mm -hmm. all these types of things. Right. So, um, yeah, that being said, um, things that have been really important for me specifically have been, um, learning different ways to rebuild a trust relationship with my body, because Mm -hmm. I think, I think what, uh, I mean, sexual abuse and sexualized violence definitely does this. Um, and purity culture also does this. It it really divorces you from your body mm-hmm. um, and from your own sensations and from, you know, our bodies are like just, they're just data. There's so much data down here. And what purity culture does is it takes the wires between your body and, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think your brain is a part of your body. It's literally mm-hmm. inside of your skull. But for sake of metaphor, it takes the wires between your brain and your body and just mm-hmm. snips them, right? Mm-hmm. And so for me, learning to heal that relationship with my body has been really helpful Um, and so for me, it's been a lot of like, um, yoga, a lot of meditation and breath work, a lot Mm -hmm. of, um, even just like other, I I work out a ton. Like I I go through phases. I'll either like run miles and miles and miles every week. Or like right now I'm in this phase where I'm doing just like a ton of Pilates. I was like a little out of breath when we started this meeting because I had (laughs) gotten done doing Pilates. Like, and it does, it's just about like feeling my body and my heartbeat and knowing that like I'm taking care of myself, I'm doing something good for myself. Like, mm-hmm. um, cause I think we really are, th- are taught to either like ignore our bodies at best in purity culture or like actively loathe and abuse our bodies at worst. Mm. Um, and, and I don't know, I think there's a lot of, you know, you, there's so many different people, everybody has their opinions and stuff out there about like how best to like go about doing your relationship with your body and should you love your body or whatever? I don't know. I, I'm kind of at a place where I'm like, I don't love my body all the time, but I'm trying mm-hmm. not to like put pressure on myself about it. Uh, to me, it's way more important to trust my body and to know that like, even if we are beefing a little bit, right? Like mm-hmm. I, I trust you and you trust me and you can, you can know that like when my body sends me a signal, I'm going to pay attention to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now I might not do um, everything that it says all the time, right? Because I am bipolar. So sometimes my body says you should drink an entire bottle of wine and text your ex. Um, mm, and so not a great so idea it's my job to say, actually, we're not going to do that right now, but you know, it's like fun idea. Let's yeah, think about it. Totally respect the impulse. Love it. <laughs> but, uh, can't really, can't, mm-hmm. don't really have time for that right now. So, I think that's like, so can we just touch on that real quick around like things yes. around like impulse and like, I feel like a lot of times folks who struggle with mental illness is like, we have all these like really interesting and or weird things that happen or go on in our brains. Mm-hmm. And we sometimes beat ourselves up because we're just like, why, why, why do I do that? 
Yeah. And I, and I, I, I wonder if like you've like had to make the distinctions like, oh, I'm, it's not like, sure. Yeah. That thought exists. That feeling, the impulse exists somewhere in here, but that's not the whole story. Yeah. You well, know, that's not the. It's been very helpful in that. And mm-hmm. I know therapy is complicated because it's inaccessible for a lot of people, both financially and practically, and especially, mm-hmm. you know, even more so in the pandemic right now with everything going on. Um, but um, I see, I see, you know, a sliding scale therapist. Um, and yeah, me too. I, I, it's been really good. I've had um, a relationship with my therapist for about five years now. Um, and that has been a really important thing for me um, in learning how to like kind of separate those things out in my mind, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I just, I think the body-based stuff is so important and it doesn't have to be like, if listen, if you're a person that like can't do like hours of hot yoga or Pilates or running or whatever, like it doesn't have mm-hmm. to be that. You can just sit and, and breathe and meditate, but, but mm-hmm. reconnecting with and building that trust relationship with your body is an imperative after mm-hmm. culture and after like sexualized violence. So it's not so much about you have to do this or that specific thing, but the principle of it being that you do have to reconnect with your mm-hmm. body and build that trust relationship. Because I'll tell you one thing, mm-hmm. you can mentally in your brain decide that you're done with purity culture, you're done with evangelicalism, even done with Christianity, whatever. Say you it, say with, it. Whatever you need to be done with to be healthy. You, but you can mentally in your mind say that, that you're done with those things, but your body has no clue. If Hello. If those wires are still cut, your body has not a clue that you're not in that environment where you're being asked to betray yourself all the time anymore. Your body yes. has not a clue. And so then we ended up being assholes to each other in our post-evangelical, ex-evangelical community because we are all still there in our bodies. Mm-hmm. We haven't, we're, we're still back in that space. Um, mm-hmm. And so, so yeah, getting your body on board <laughs> with, with what's happening in your, in your mind and your transformation mm-hmm. um, is really important in that sense too if you don't want to just be assholes to everyone. Yeah. <laughs> ding motherfucking ding ding dong if you will because that is the, that is like when people say the work yeah i think that is what i would define as the work is yeah. really that connection like getting the connection between your brain and body your spirit like you know your spiritual self and your incarnated self you know your yeah. yin and your yang whatever you want to call it um and it like learning how to communicate with that part of yourself and hear it and understand like what part of this is my trauma and what part of this is mm-hmm. me actually keeping myself safe. Well, and and some of those things are not extricable. Like a hard lesson that I've had to learn is like I have been unpacking evangelical Christianity and my harm by purity culture for I just turned 30. So like for 10 years at this point. Mm. Um I still have manic episodes. Mm-hmm. I had one two weeks ago. That's why I had to reschedule with you eventually or, or <laughs> <Yeah>. initially <laughs> is why. Right. Yeah. Um, I, some of these things you're just going to have to carry with you. Like, mm-hmm. and that's unfortunate and that sucks, but yeah. there is a sense in which like, it's okay to be like, um, this is a thing that my body and my brain deal with on account of what has happened to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a sad thing. And we have it's to not it. your fault. But yeah, it's not your fault. And it doesn't make you a bad person. And like, it is hard. So like, give yourself grace in being able to sort that out. Because sometimes, sometimes we're doing stuff out of our trauma. Um, and and we use social justice words to talk about it. And so everybody mm-hmm. thinks we're validated in it, but we're actually not right. What we're actually doing is just responding out of our trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can use all the social justice words that you want. But if you are bleeding on everyone around you hello <laughs> out of your trauma that's still what's happening you know yeah that's actually something um 
our dearly departed Rachel Held Evans told me, like I, I was asking her book, like, cause I was trying to like write the first book and trying to tell all the stories of shit that would happen to me and blah, blah, blah. And something she said, she's like, you know, you can, but like she said, Anne Lamont would say that if people wanted you to write of them more fondly, they should have behaved better. I quote that in my book. <laughs> and I love that. And then the thing that Rachel said is just like, when you're writing, make sure you're not bleeding over everybody because that's not what the reader came for and that's not what the reader needs. Those are two different things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think trauma kind of mires our ability to see what exact- that is. Yeah. So that is what you're saying. The work, TM. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is being able to say like, and I think that's also when I think about wanting to like, when people like quote unquote, when they think about healing now and like, you know, like if you want to talk about receive healing, I'm just like, you can receive it by yourself by learning how to like, uh, I don't know, desensitize the triggers Mm. and like to, to look at those things like, okay, why does this thing bother me? It reminds me of something in the past that is no longer here. And yet I'm still afraid, like a little child every time it comes on or someone mentions even, you know, the slightest thing, evangelical. Mm-hmm. or Christian even. And well, I'm... A lot of times we get bothered and we make it everybody else's problem rather than thinking mm-hmm. to ourselves, like, what's going on inside of me right now? Mm-hmm. Is there something that I can learn about my healing process through yeah. this? Rather than just, like, trying to make sure nobody else presents you with any information yeah. that you feel, might make you feel uncomfortable, you know? Yeah. yeah. And the other thing that you said that I wanted to highlight, too, was that uh, you said, I'm bipolar. I just had a manic episode two weeks ago. It's just like, just, like it's just like, there are going to be those things that we struggle with. And it's like, we all have our neuroses. We all have our struggle points. And some of us are going to carry with them the rest of our life. It's just that like, I think the difference, at least for me now, it's just like, I'm no longer as in love with the neuroses. And by that, I mean, like, I don't make them my pets. Like, I don't like look at. Starving artist, like hopeless romantic. Type yeah. I'm just like, yeah. And it's, it, I, I was like, I was like, okay, I can feel this as much as I need to. And then the question then is like, what do I want to do now? Do I want to feel better? And what do I want to do about that? How am I going to get myself to that place? Because I'm the only one who's going to get my body there. Yeah. Mm. Mm. What do you think was um, the hardest part about writing the book? Oh, man. Hardest part about, I mean, I don't know. I, the Writing the book in spite of it, in spite of it being, um, you know, about a heavy traumatizing topic. Um, the actual process of, of writing the book, I think, um, was, was a joy to me. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. I think, I think the hardest part, um, was in looking at my own story and specifically the stories of the people that I interviewed, because I interviewed about six or seven folks other than myself in like a deep dive kind of way for the book. Mm-hmm. And I included, you know, other kind of stories here and there, but there was, there was about six or seven folks that I like really took a deep dive with. Um, and so in looking at their stories and also my own, I think um, what, what is just so unfortunate, I think is, is how much of like my pain and my suffering and also the pain and suffering of the people that I spoke to is really just like so avoidable. Mm-hmm. Um, like these things did not have to happen in so many cases. You know, you can never prevent 100% of abuse because that's just not how the world works. But mm-hmm. but so many of these cases like just did not have to happen. 
Um, right. And, and, and even when they did happen, they didn't have to be as bad as they were because so many times in these stories, like what happened, the original story of like sexualized violence was bad, right? But then so many people said what happened afterwards was even worse. The way my parents reacted, the way um, mm -hmm. my church reacted actually compounded that trauma and constituted mm -hmm. like another secondary trauma that was maybe even almost worse than the actual, you know, event itself of mm -hmm. sexualized violence. And so I, it just, it's so, it's so hard to look at that and know, like, it didn't have to be that, that way, but it was because so many people lacked mm -hmm. the moral courage, um, mm -hmm. to do better, you know? Yeah. I, yeah. It was, it was hard too. Cause I think it, in that, it made me really take a deep dive into like my feelings about my family of origin, like most of whom mm -hmm. do not speak to me, um, long before church too, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's not even really about church too, or about coming out. They, they quit talking to me before I even came out, which is wild. Um, mm. but, uh, but yeah, just kind of digging into like my own, like my own darkness and like unresolved pain there trying to go through that and, and realizing like, Oh, I actually still like have a lot of mm -hmm. feelings about this. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's just, it's really sad to me. It's sad. Uh, you know, I, I come off angry most of the time when I say churches aren't willing to do the work, but like, um, you know, underneath the anger, it's just a lot of sadness because so much of this is so avoidable. And I think that's like the thing, that's the truth. And I, I like people look at me the same way, which is like, probably not as much because like, I'm not uh, read as female all the time because you get like, you know, angry feminazi bitch. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I just get it's like, what is this faggot? No. So there's like, yeah. you know, same, same, but different. <laughs> um, when you are not doing work around this stuff what do you enjoy doing what's your um, what's your downtime like what's your self-care like what do you how do you treat yourself yes um okay so two things that have been like saving my life this school year because like in addition to putting out this book i also work full-time at a church and i'm also a full-time grad student and i'm planning a wedding um so you know a lot light flexes all over the place yeah um so the two things that have been like really really fun for me or i guess uh, yeah, really the two things we're about to start this year's again is, um, our garden. We have like this whole, so our, we have like a, a decent bit of space around our house, but we also have this whole plot behind our house. It's technically owned by the city, but the people that lived here before us gardened on it. So there's all these plots out here. Dude. So we have like this huge garden behind our house. Um, so that's been really good. I love to like make a drink and go out there and just like pull weeds and like vibe, you know, mm. <laughs> and it just really Emily's garden show like for the family. gardening things you need to know. Yeah. If you need some soil, <laughs> she's your girl. It's Emily's garden show. <laughs> no, but I feel like I want to, cause I'm like, I'm so bad at it, but it really makes me happy. Um, and then the other thing is um, we got Animal Crossing in January. Yo. And I literally like made an Instagram account for our island just so I can post. <laughs> I'm like getting into it. I'm like getting into like Animal Crossing. My island is like not good. If anybody plays Animal Crossing, okay, my island is like three stars. Like there's, it's not great, but I'm trying real hard. I feel like with both the, the Animal Crossing and the garden, you know that Mr. Rogers like drawing with crayons thing. And he's like, we're going to draw with crayons. I'm not very good at it, but that's okay. Like, that's how I feel about both of these things. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that one got me. That one really got me. Sorry. Oh, but it gives me so much joy. I love to, like, turn off Twitter, and I'm just like, I'm going to play Animal Crossing for two hours, and mm -hmm. no one is going to speak to me. And I'm just going to, like, decorate my island and, like, plant flowers everywhere. And it is it has been a really good mental health care thing for me. Brilliant. I think uh, 
yeah, that's brilliant. You also have like a dog, two dogs, one dog. We have a dog and a cat. We have Harley and we have Debbie is our cat. Um, you can see them on me and Caitlin's Instagrams. I think Caitlin posts mm. more pictures of the animals than I do. We have a hashtag um, for Harley, which is hashtag Harley and hats. Mm. Um, where we post pictures of Harley and hats. He's very tolerant when we put hats on his head. So he does give you the the eyes though. He's like, what he the? Does, yeah, he's got the side eye. He's got the side eye. Yeah, they're great. I have on my Instagram. I have a little pet highlight. So if you're interested in more pictures of um, Harley and Debbie, you can go view that. <laughs> Sweet. Um. So I don't want to keep us over time. And I like you so much. And Aww. I think the book is really, really fucking good. And I'm really fucking proud of you. Thank you. I'm very happy to have it out. I think. Um. Yeah, I am very happy with how it mm. turned out. I think it, it's hard because, like, I don't know how you experience this, but I, I feel like by the time I put out anything that I have written, I already disagree with, like, half of it. Mm. Um, just because I've already, like, updated and, like, changed my mind and, like, grown and evolved on things that mm -hmm. I was writing about. And I feel like I still agree with, like, most of what I wrote in the book. Yeah. A good 90%. So. <laughs> yeah, I will say the same thing. I'm just, like, as I go through it, like, there's, like, oh, I would have expanded on this a little bit more. Yeah. But, like, it's, like nothing that we can't talk about on our book tours that we're going to do yeah. when we have the world opens up that i can't talk about when i write my next book <laughs> bam, 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 bam. yeah like you know just dropping that little hint right there it's happening i don't know when but it is it's one of my yeah. goals this summer. i'm gonna make a bomb ass garden get a tan and sell my second book you better put that on the vision board and call that in <laughs> listen we want that abundance for us um we're gonna do it i'm gonna um I'm going to be getting a, hopefully getting a trainer soon. And um, I'm trying, I'm trying to become, um, you know, thirst trap theologian, <laughs> which is, that's how my friend Keith, uh, Keith Minahan, it calls himself. Cause like, he's getting like his like PhD in like queer pastoral care and is just like the hunkiest, most thoughtful thoughtiest pastor i've ever seen in my life and i'm like I wow i want people to be scared of me like i want i want pastors <laughs> to go look at my instagram and be like fucking shit she wrote this book and she has abs she could beat me up you know what i'm saying like when, yeah when you I walk in people to be scared of me i like that it's just like just, <laughs> what is it is it better to be feared or love it's like i want people to be afraid of how much they love me <laughs> or just afraid i'll take that Anyways, <laughs> tell humans on the internet where they can contact you, hire you for to come speak at your at your next event oh, because yes. the world's opening up and we want to get booked, moms. Well, and I'm doing it virtually too. Even if you have a thing you want me to come speak at um, before things open, like I'm doing an event next week at a college, um, which cool. is very exciting. It's going to be fun and it's virtual. So um, yes, find me on the things. You can find me on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm Emily Joy Poetry. I might not respond to you on Twitter because I have boundaries with Twitter now. Good. Um, turns out having an app in my phone that gives me 24-7 access to what 17,000 people have to say about me is not healthy for my brain. So, um, I have boundaries with Twitter now, but you can follow me there. I tweet all the time. Um, also, Emily Joy Poetry on Instagram. That's a little bit more fun because you get the dog pics. Yeah. Uh, and you can also email me if you want. I'm booking, B-O-O-K-I-N-G, at emilyjoypoetry.com. Um, or if you go to my website, emilyjoypoetry.com, there's like a form on there too. Um, but I would love to come to your thing. I would love to come to your thing virtually. I would love to come to your thing um, after it's safe. I am getting my second vaccination on the 10th of April, which I am very excited about. 
I'm going to get my second job in three hours. Oh my god! Yay! I'm so excited. And Wait, someone, someone was like, "You're really getting into like you know the whole like following Jesus into the grave thing." I'm said, "I'm crucified with Christ, baby." So I'm just like, get the jab tonight. <laughs> feel really sick for the weekend. Maybe by Resurrection Sunday will be good. I don't know. See, I wanted to tweet something shady uh, today about Good Friday, but I did not want Episcopal Twitter to bit to be mad at me, and Episcopal Twitter is just like unfucking bearable. Um, but I wanted to be like. <laughs> I wanted to be like, Good Friday is my favorite day of Holy Day because it's the only one I think actually happened. Um, <laughs> boop, boop, motherfuckers. Listen. Okay, here so I don't tweet it and hate myself later. Yeah, so um, all that. And also, um, if you liked this podcast, my name is Kevin Garcia. And if you hated it, my name is Emily Joy. I'm just... <laughs> if you hate it, that's fine. I've had therapy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah actually, you know what? The courage to be disliked, y'all. <laughs>that was my conversation with emily joy allison you can follow emily across the internet at emily joy poetry the book is church Two: how purity culture upholds abuse and how to find healing it's available wherever your books are sold including kindle um get it get it now read it share it with your friends share it with someone you need to, we gotta listen I'm, i know that like i always say this but just like even if you don't read the book buy the book because we have to support our queer community we have to be doing things where we're gonna actually like you know boost our numbers so we can actually then invest back into the community you see what i'm saying here um so yeah emily i'm so fucking proud of you it's in a phenomenal book way to go and congratulations so thank you for this gift for all of us truly uh so yeah credits time um this podcast and all of my work is supported by the amazing community that we have over on patreon It's a way to support the creatives in your life that are making the content that matters. And also my Patreon community is now forming into like a spiritual community. We are trying new things out. We are gathering, we are learning. It is just, uh, it's, it's wonderful. It's wonderful and powerful and Uh, I'm loving it. So if you are interested in expanding your spiritual eyes a little bit more and trying to get some healing in this lifetime, baby, head on over to patreon.com slash the Kevin Garcia and check it out. Um, I think that's that part. Um, Other thing, um, A Tiny Revolution is a part of the Irreverent Media Group. You can go to irreverent.fm to check out all of our show listings, including my other podcast called Your Favorite Ants. Please go subscribe and listen to it. It's so fucking funny. We just dropped an episode yesterday um, on the anatomy of friendship and like, just like get being making friends as an adult. And like, it's just a bunch of people in our thirties just gabbing about so many fun things. It's a delight to be around. So share it with your friends. It's incredibly fun. Um, and then check out all our other shows, including, uh, Exvangelical, Dirty Rotten Church Kids and more. Again, follow us across social media at irreverent underscore FM on Twitter and Instagram. And you can follow me at the Kevin Garcia on Twitter and Instagram and also thekevingarcia.com. My book, Bad Theology Kills, um, Undoing Toxic Belief and Reclaiming Your Spiritual Authority is at badtheologykills.com. If you want to take one of my e-courses, it's all there. Oh, I hate doing the credits part because it's just so long-winded, but I know that you love hearing them. Um, I think that's everything from me. So, beloved, this week, uh, focus on you. Focus on calling in this new thing. It's new moon in Aries. And right now, we can just love every part. So, till next time, make sure you take your meds, call your person, shake your ass a little bit, eat something delicious, move your body in a way that feels good. 
Um, and uh, stop giving a fuck about people who don't love you. And stop engaging with people who don't love you, who are committed to misunderstanding you. It's a waste of your energy, baby. All right, that's my advice for the week. And until next time, this has been another episode of A Tiny Revolution. I'm Kevin, and I'll talk to you next time, baby. Bye, 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 bye.